The 2023 calendar year has started with plenty of activity on the market front for wool and lots of ongoing uncertainty around the global economy. Inflation, recession, energy prices, not to mention China's ongoing battle with COVID now that restrictions have been eased there. With all this in mind, it's actually shown some positive signs as well. So where to now for the wool market? It's time we spoke with someone in the trade. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. Scott Carmody is a trade analyst with Australian Wool Innovation, or AWI, and he says the market has had a good start to the year. Yes, Marius, it's a, it's a quite a good start to the year and all, all you know, said and done. It's, uh, the prices haven't raced away or anything you know, unusual. Uh, we've, we've managed to get rid of you know, over, well over 100,000 bales of Australian stored wool so, um, at around the same price. So just to see you know, such a large offering and to see a very steady price, that, that, I think that all is well for the future. I, I really do. I think we're building a solid base of trade at the moment. Um, each week that goes past and the price is relatively the same, obviously we have to deal with the vagaries of the currency. That, that's out of most of our hands. Um, but at the moment, the price is relatively stable, which has given everyone a bit of a fill-up and is providing a bit of underlying confidence that people can trade normally. Uh, normally is a, is a very subjective term these days, but you know, relatively normally in the fact that you know, you're not expecting prices to run away or to fall away and you know, the volumes are what they are and can be dealt with without affecting the market. So uh, the first two, two or three sales of this calendar year have certainly um, proven to be quite solid and you know we're, we're rolling at the 1338 EMI you know, as of the end of this week so you know, things aren't that bad. So given the reliance on China, given the uncertainty around um, the, the, the COVID policy uh, over there and now the Lunar New Year, there is um, surely some big question marks around um, where the industry is at, the processing industry is in China. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they, you know, they're now China's facing what we faced, you know, in the Western world the last um, you know, six or twelve months ago when we were all let out of lockdowns and, and so forth. So China's just been relinquished. This is their first major holiday that they're allowed to return back to their provinces. And of course, the real fear in China and you know those factories, which are, are all based on the eastern seaboard there of China, that. Um, yeah, the, the numbers and, and the percentages of what workers actually do return to the factory in a week or two's time. Most of them take a week, if not two, off work. That's yeah, their annual uh, major holiday. And, um, yeah, it's a wait and see at the moment to see whether those workers do return. Most of the factory owners we've been speaking to, they're, they're reasonably confident that you know, the, the levels of wages, the, the, the accommodations they provide for their workers, the, the meal plans and all that sort of thing that makes it comfortable life for those um, mill workers, um, they're seeing a, a high chance of, of things as normal um, returning in, in two weeks' time when um, the workers get back. So by the time sort of mid to late February rolls out, we may see um, a more truer situation in terms of the market and China or are you sort of confident that we're, we're going to um, sit back into the first couple of weeks of January? Um, uh, the, the, 
the thought amongst many of the traders is that we, we might even actually see a better market coming if if, if that is true and 90 or 95 percent of the works return the factories can hit their production levels that you know make them money we we're we're quite confident of the trading side of the business to see that those uh, enterprises can rebuild to what they were uh, pre-COVID. And at the moment, they're running various figures, but 50 to 70% of production levels is most of them. Some of the bigger guys are getting back to near normal. You know, they're, they're 100% levels. But it's the second and third and fourth down the list that we need to provide those um, competitive bids in the auction room against those big guys. Um, that's what we're missing at the moment. And if, if the, these factories can get back to some semblance of normality, well, we can see a better competition market and that better competition obviously brings about better pricing. A watching brief, of course, though, is, is the, the US dollar prices. I mean, we've, we've seen that US dollar price tick up around 50 US cents as the you know, Aussie markets basically stay the same. I mean, that doesn't help our wool growers who are wanting more money in their pocket, but it's it does make that product expensive in US dollars, more expensive than it was pre-Christmas. But, you know, they're still willing to buy at these, these growing levels. So we're looking at around 950 US cents at the moment on the EMI conversion. Um, and, you know, things are reasonably comfortable anywhere under 1,000 and about the 1,000 mark is, is, a, is a comfortable level of trade in most people's opinion. Yeah, that's that was the next question, I suppose. We've looked... At ten dollars for the Eastern Market Indicator in US dollar terms, as sort of a benchmark for quite some time, and we're just sitting beneath that. So um, uh, I suppose pundits that look at the market fairly regularly would say there's still a little bit of an upside, but given that um, given that uh, fifty cent mark below um, that benchmark at the moment, but it, as you say, the um, the foreign exchange yeah, well, is really all uh-huh. over the place. Yeah, I, and I'm definitely one of those those people too, Mario. So I, I think there's a little bit of an uptick. I mean, we've had a pretty savage couple of years. I mean, everyone everyone knows what inflation's done. Everyone knows what COVID's done. You know, that's that's not the you know, price of energy. These, these are no secrets. This is affecting no matter whether you're a wool grower or a trader or you know, making light bulbs in China. It doesn't matter. Everyone is affected by the the the, the rising cost of making anything in the world these days. So. Um, we, we need the price of wool up, there's no doubt. Um, the way it's going at the moment is, is a good measure. It's, it's steady, it's progressing, it, it's not racing away, it's not falling down. You know, those, those big, steep you know, falls and, and, and hefty rises we have in one and two weeks, that doesn't help you know, a situation that needs a recovery mode before we can you know, sort of push on and I think that's where at the moment we're, we're still definitely very much in recovery mode of the wool price I mean you know it wasn't so long ago that we were getting you know 20 and 30 percent higher than these prices you know a couple of years back I mean things were good and you know the COVID pre-COVID situation you know obviously was much better but you know we're seeing a, a you know a Australian wool clip at 340 million kilos that can easily be handled um, these days by you know not only the Chinese but you know we've got a very much growing interest from from um, India and Italy still there, and the you know, Czech Republic, Egypt. You know, we've we've got plenty of other people that are interested in our wool product at the moment, and they're they're supporting the market, you know, through activity in in purchasing. And that's you know, there's no better place to to witness that than the auction room. And there's certainly a much more diverse um, uh, destination for Australian wool than what we've you know just had over the last uh, sort of three three years. 
Um, it's not all about China, uh, even though you know, China is hitting 80% still. They're, they're our most valued and valuable customer. And we, we certainly, um, the, the, the all eyes are on China at all times to, to see the market direction and, and any possible advancements. But you know, definitely the message we're getting is that you know, they're at a base now where they're comfortably trading and hopefully we can tick up from there. It's been quite amazing watching the wool market just for the last couple of years, given, uh, as you say, COVID, given the price of energy, um, obviously processing wool is very energy intensive, Um, inflation, the the threat of recession, um, an unusually warm winter in Europe, also an unusually cold winter in the US, um, flooding and other issues domestically. It's quite amazing how stable the wool market has really been in the last three years. It, it, yes, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I guess it comes, it's, it's a lot of the unknown. When things are unknown, I think, you know, there, there's less risk taken. There's less, you know, if you buy something today, you don't want to see it, you know, 50 cents or a dollar cheaper next week, you know. So there's a lot of protectionism in place. The the, the way the auctions have been managed for Condi over this period of time has been exceptionally good. Um, there, there's been cautious approach to... To, but trading, and that's on both sides. Yeah, that's from you know, trading wool out of the greasy situation here in Australia into our markets overseas, but also the trading of, of the fibre once it's processed. You know, people are very conservative um, in, in hard times, so I think that, that has levelled the market out somewhat and, and it's played out, you know, obviously you know, during the depth of COVID, you know, we dipped down to that 630, 640 US cent mark, which is never going to be you know, a, a, an issue... Uh, long term, because it's just a, a, a spike downwards. But you know, to recover in that time, and and it's been surge trade the last all, particularly since you know uh, the Chinese relinquished their COVID policy at the start of December. I mean, it's it's been a, a moody reaction, you know, for a hundred cents to the to the Australian wool grass. So they got that hundred cents, and it's traded beautifully since then on a very firm, steady demand scenario. So it, it's looking. It's looking like it's a, a platform to build on rather than a platform to fall off, if you know what I mean. No, that's a good way to put it. And uh, I forgot to mention that logistics or container issue we had a year or so ago as well, which seems to have sorted itself out. Just looking at um, prices the way they are at the moment, Scott, yeah, the finer merino uh, wools seem to be selling quite well, particularly the better quality. Um, but... Uh, Broader merinos and crossbred wools are still sort of languishing a bit. When when finer merinos sort of get up in higher prices historically, um, generally we start to see more substitution from that sort of twenty eight um, micron plus into the blends. But we haven't really seen that yet. Why is that? Um, there's, there's a number, number of reasons why that, and one of them is global supply. Um, the amount of stock of crossbred wool, particularly talking about 28 micron or 27 micron and broader, is quite quite high. You know, there's there's talks that you know the the kiwi clippers you know basically remain you know a year supply you know unsold. So that's a concern when they're you know they're a 130 million kilo producer of wool each year, and I believe only about 14 ton of uh, 14 million kilos of that is, is merino. So you're talking about a country there supplying 100 and something million kilos of, of crossbred wool on its own. It hasn't sold. We've also got an unsold position here in Australia, as does a lot of the European um, 
countries. And, and you know, we're, we're in Australia, we're only 8% of the global crossbred market, if you like, the broader wool market. We're, we're 8%, whereas on the merino side, as you probably all know, it's, you know, 70% is, is the global apparel wool comes out of Australia. So it's far more stocks of that that we can't predetermine or, or, or make too much of an influence on price on those broader wools. Getting down into the broader merinos, the 21, 22, and you know, in the odd cases, the 24 micron types that, that are still traded, in, mainly into China but elsewhere as well, uh, they're troublesome in the fact that they're not hitting the premium markets. And so they're more of a mass market product, a, a commodity price uh, affected market, if you like. So that tends to follow just, oh, we just buy something, we'll buy a commodity type, which is, is your 21 and 22 micron types. Whereas, yeah, 18s and Spina, they're obviously, you know, a lot of those better walls are heading to premium luxury markets, which, you know, in, in tough times are relatively less affected, well, much less affected than, than um, the middle class and lower economy um, consumer products. And that's what's happened, uh, you know, not just now, but uh, for the past, you know, two, three years, the, the Superfine's actually held up quite nicely. They've, they've of course, come off their, their highs of where they were, you know, six months ago. But they've, you know, rebuilt their price and confidence and you're still seeing, you know, your 17.5 micron prices all over the 2,000 cent clean mark, which they, they need to be, you know, when you're only cutting two or three kilos clean on those, you want to, you, you want any animal cutting you more than 60, $65 fleece fees, otherwise, you know, the alternatives then come in to compete. And so those prices, I do believe again, when the world economy Right itself and this scourge of, you know, this threat of recessions and the inflation, as you've mentioned, um, that alleviates itself. I can only see those luxury markets, you know, pushing up and, and hopefully dragging those broader walls along. But um, in saying that, the, the crossbred walls have got a long way to go before that supply, both uh, with demand scenario changes. And I do believe that's people outside wearing heavy coats and that's sort of, that's where that market is, that's what that product makes. Um, and that needs to, to occur, you know, just people being outside again in the cold and away from the central heating. And that might come about too because these energy costs keep rising. You know, there's nothing better than throwing on a, a wool coat or a wool jumper to keep yourself cool and uh, keep yourself warm instead of um, you know, being, being um, subjected to the energy costs of the day. That's right. And, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that double-faced um, uh, fabric that was... Um Invented a few years ago, really, really helped with that market. We need another one of those type of products, or uh, a big uniform order, or, uh, or finding new new offers. But I mean, as a global, yeah, as but I mean, as a as a natural fibre, it is dirt cheap, isn't it? I mean, I, I know it's um, it's oversupplied, but surely that also shows what a great uh, opportunity sits there if you've got a, if you can find a product that sits in that and then can use that type of wool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though I know the price is low, but when you look at a 30 micron, you know, composite type of wool or that sort of wool, it's achieving the same price value as a polyester. So when you're converting um, in, into, you know, all of our products that we make, you know, and you, and you look at some of that 30 micron crossbred wool, uh, which, you know, has a little bit of camp, you know, that composite breed, not as, you know, it's not a white crossbred like we used to grow our, our Crossbreds, and this is part of our issue at the moment. Is that a lot of our crossbred clip isn't as good as it was three or four years ago. We were, we were famous and, and 
we were a market to achieve a white, you know, particularly in the 28.8 type and the 27.5 type and the 26.8 micron types. We, we, were, we were chased. We were given premiums above the rest of the world because we did have a Kemp-free, straight fibre-free white crossbred fleece that could make a beautiful whatever coloured coat they wanted, you know, dye it pastel if they wanted to, it was that white. We don't grow that anymore. The, the weather conditions is one, but also our brooding. You know, we, we are um, heading down to this more composite route rather than the, you know, the traditional first cross merino, um, uh, uh, bought lesser cross and then moving into that second cross. We, we're not doing that anymore. The, with the traditional crossbred wool isn't what it used to be. So quality has paid a part on our pricing as well. So we've lagged back or, or pulled back to the rest of the world, the European levels, the, the, um, the Kiwi levels as well. So that's part of the issue as well as far as the low crossbred pricing goes. It's pretty, yeah. That sort of uh, triggered a, a thought in my mind that maybe, uh, maybe we need to differentiate uh, those merino cross wools as opposed to composite wools because at the moment I presume they're all just put in as uh, FX, MX, or CX. I believe that's the case. Some of them are uh, DX and the downs crosses, but I believe that. I mean, we've got a system in place that our whole, you know. <laughs> Our whole apparel clips, you know, got three A, four A, or two A, or yeah, we, we're not very good at describing, you know, the first stage what our wool is. But then, yeah, that's what the buyers are there for. They're there to look at the samples and the and the test results provided by RWTA and all that goes with that, and the quality that you know they're the ones putting their hands in their pockets paying for it. So um, yeah, that's a that's an argument for other people. That's how we describe <laughs> yeah. the wool clip. Yeah, I think that is a whole whole new podcast. But Roto, so it sounds like you're cautiously optimistic, Scott, for 2023 after um, a pretty solid start to the first couple of sales. Cautiously optimistic, love it. <laughs> right, mate. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us. It's been a fair while between drinks, but. Um, you provide great insight into what's happening in uh, the sale rooms around Australia. And, and as usual, thanks for having a yarn with us. Thank you, Marius. Trade analyst with Australian Wool Innovation, or AWI, Scott Carmody. And if you don't receive the daily or weekly market reports via SMS or on email, and you'd like to, well, send us an email at theyarn at wool.com and we'll put you on the list. You can, of course, keep up to date by following Wool Innovation on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, from me, Murray is coming. Thanks for having a yarn with me.